0: Let me open with a prayer. Our deacon has read for us this morning Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 25. So what I intend to preach this morning comes in principle out of that section of the Bible. And I'll be drawing from that, but I'll be all over the Bible as I typically am. This is the second time I've had our our deacon read this section of the Bible in the last maybe three or four weeks. So he has read it twice to us now in the last couple, three weeks, and now I'm going to jump into it. But let's open with a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, Um, Thou hast sent out thy spirit and dwelled us with thy person that we would be conformed to your image. Our desire, Lord, is to think your thoughts. Our desire is to feel the things that you feel and to know what things that you would have us to know. So we pray thee, Lord, in consistent with conforming us to your image, that we would see the world through biblical eyes and think thoughts after thy thoughts. In Jesus' name we pray, Amen. amen. As David was a man after God's own heart, so too should our heart be after God's heart. Now, last week, we had our second uh, divisive post-worship conversation about what things are going on in the Middle East and where our sympathies should lie in that regard. So today I'm going to address that topic through the lens of the Bible. Whereas the Bible contains the revealed will of God, what sympathies God has should be manifest in the hearts of the born from above believer. Last week, I said three times that you should read Deuteronomy chapter 28, not so that you would understand the calamities that would befall the Jews for their rejection of God, but to understand how the world would regard them, so that you, as a Christian, would not regard them in like manner. So that you would not regard them in like manner. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 37, the Lord says, And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword amongst all the nations, whither the Lord shall lead thee. They are going to become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword. An astonishment means that people would be appalled by them, and people are appalled by the things the Jewish people are doing in the Middle East. People apply a double standard to what the Jews do as compared with what Hamas or their neighboring countries do. If the Jews were to so much as spit on a Palestinian, it would be front page in all of the papers. The um, casualties are inflated by the Hamas. Apparently, 67% of the people killed over there are women and children and not actually combatants. So they will be held as an astonishment. People are going to be appalled by them. They will be an object of scorn. That's what that word means in the Hebrew. They will be a proverb, meaning they will be spoken of in contempt or derision. And indeed, we see that in the world. They will be a byword meaning they will be a taunt, they will be scornful, and they will be, which is a jeering put down. So all of those things apply to the way the Jews are treated and thought of by the world. Now, over in verse 68 of Deuteronomy 28, we read the last verse in that section. It says, And the Lord shall bring thee, meaning the Israelites, into Egypt again with ships by the way whereof I spake unto thee. Thou shalt see it no more again, and there ye shall be sold unto your enemies for bondmen and bondwomen, and no man shall buy you. In other words, God is telling the Jews that they would be held in such low regard that no one would buy them as slaves. The result of which would be that there would be additional contempt heaped upon them by their owners because they would regard them as worthless and place no value on their lives. If you have a slave that you can't sell, then you might as well just throw him in the trash heap because nobody has any value for them. So to take the world's view of the Jew is to be lumped in with the nation spoken of in Deuteronomy 28 and fail to see them through God's biblical lens. They were chosen by God, just like you. They were disobedient and rejected God, just like you. As a Christian, you should appreciate the consequences of their rejection of God, particularly given their historical relationship with him. And you should have an understanding of your own depravity in light of theirs and thank God for them and for all you have learned about man and God through their various trials, because God has recorded them for your and my edification. Given what is written in Deuteronomy 28, we should appreciate how the world views the Jewish people and why. Throughout the course of history, they have been subjected to much persecution. Throughout the course of history, they have suffered the expulsion from many nations. I caution you as to what you watch and listen to on any media platform. Do not let conspiratorial theories creep in here in the church. They are not edifying. They are speculative and they create division and do not glorify God. If you are watching and reading from internet websites that rationalize anti-Semitism, you are listening to false teachers. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion, I'm gonna put that in quotes, it's a book. The Protocols of the Elders of Zion was a publication said to have come out of Russia in 1903. And consistent with Deuteronomy chapter 28, it still bears evil fruit to this day. It has been proven to be a fabrication of a Jewish plot for world domination and was widely used by the Nazis to turn public sentiment against the Jews whereby through perverse thinking, which man is naturally prone to, they might rationalize the theft of Jewish property, followed by their removal to concentration camps, wherein they were systematically murdered in gas chambers and then cremated. And they did that because it was too time-consuming, too cumbersome, and too expensive to shoot them and bulldoze them into common graves, which is what they initially did. The notion that the Jews as a people might desire world domination is contrary to what the Bible teaches. The notion that the Jews as a people might desire world domination is contrary to history and contrary to what the Bible teaches. God has conditionally given the Jews certain lands in the Middle East. He gave them the land from the river of Egypt on the south to the Euphrates River on the north and from the Mediterranean Sea on the west to the wilderness on the east. As a nation and a people, they have never been expansionistic nor sought world domination. That would be contrary to the scriptures and the principles upon which God glorifies himself in them as his chosen people. All the wars they have ever fought have been fought either to acquire and hold the land that God conditionally gave them, or to subjugate and tax foreigners in the land that God conditionally gave them, or to push out peoples from the lands that God conditionally gave them that would subjugate them. To think ill of the Jews is anti-Semitic and has no place in the heart of any Christian. So if you're listening to false teachers on the internet or reading books written by false teachers, beware. They are turning your hearts from a people God has chosen as the means and agency to glorify himself. They are teaching that which is contrary to God's written word, the Holy Bible, which the world has in its possession by virtue of the custodial work of the Jews to whom were committed the oracles of God, by God. God gave the Bibles to the Jews, and the Jews gave it to us, and I am thankful for it. The idea that Christians are not subject to propaganda or that they are arbiters, arbitrators of truth, is patently false. If that were true... There would be no need for the Bible and certainly no need for all of the epistles that were written to straighten out all the false doctrine that so quickly crept into the church. However, we do have the Bible, and it tells us that Christians can be tossed to and fro by various winds of doctrine and can be deceived. It tells us that there are people who lie in wait using cunning craftiness to deceive, And if that weren't bad enough, the Bible tells us that Christians can even deceive themselves, which ought not to surprise the saints, because God tells us that the heart of man is deceitful above all things. So, attend to the words of God, incline thine ear unto God's sayings, let them not depart from thy eyes, keep them in the midst of thine heart. So again, Keep yourself in God's word and measure what things you read and hear in this present evil world against God's word. Otherwise, you will be duped and manipulated into spreading lies and in the context of what I'm talking about today, in the context of the Jews. Just as you ought to pay attention to and discriminate as to what you eat, so too should you discriminate against what you listen to or read. So beware of YouTube. It is a grand agent of misinformation. Even the secular world knows how harmful social media is. They will tell you, they themselves will tell you, that it manipulates people, it modifies their behavior, and it markets them. In a word, it brings people into bondage. YouTube algorithms put you in an echo-like chamber tube facilitating your deception. And as the name implies, your, that is to say YouTube, YouTube, your self-deception, you are drawn down a foolish, self-actualizing algorithmic path, precipitated by some seemingly benign thought or question. Now, YouTube is not without some value. If it had not been for YouTube, I never would have known that after almost 40 years of military and commercial civilian aviation that I have been gassing the inhabitants of a flat earth with chemtrails. And yes, there are Christians that believe that foolishness in spite of all of the God-glorifying evidence to the contrary because there are a lot of people that lie in wait to deceive to lead Christians astray and destroy their credibility in this world, and they are very successful at it. The Bible indicates that there is only one area where a Christian can't, by God's grace, be deceived, and that has to do with false Christs. Christ's sheep know his voice and are known by him. But to use an aviation term, the Bible is full of notes, warnings, and cautions on everything else. So beware. You are the object of, and I wouldn't be preaching this sermon if I didn't think you were the victim of it, you are the object of much deception. So, be sober-minded. If people you are listening to or the books and articles you are reading are not turning your hearts away from God's people overtly, they are doing it with subtlety which is manifest if you are not sympathetic towards the Jews. So with that in mind, there are but two points I want to make this morning. If you are anti-Semitic, your heart is not right with God. You are a respecter of persons, and that is sin. If you deny the the Holocaust to any degree, if you argue that it wasn't really six million Jews that were murdered, but rather four million or two million, or perhaps only several hundred thousand, your heart is not right with God. If, as a Christian, you are not sympathetic to the plight of Israel, your heart is not right with God. There is no net neutrality in their war with the surrounding countries. You are either with God's people or you are against them. As to the first point, denying the Holocaust, your heart is not right for two reasons. One, you are willfully ignorant of the facts. If the Germans were one thing, they were organized and meticulous. The records they kept and the infrastructure for for, the extermination of the Jews is well documented and witnessed by thousands of people the Nazis devoted a great deal of resources to the extermination of the Jews, resources that would have been much better spent or much better utilized in their prosecution of the war if that had been their primary object. But the facts testify otherwise. As the, world, as the war turned against them, rather than abandoning their efforts to kill the Jews and focus on the war, history reveals that they ramped up their efforts to kill the Jews. And why would they do that? because it's not a rational thing to do. They did it because the war against the Jews is spiritual and it's global and comes right out of the pages of the Bible, Deuteronomy chapter 28 in particular. Given current events, why would the Hamas attack Israel and engage in the horrific brutality that they did and by their own hand documented? because it's not a rationally driven military exercise, but rather a spiritually driven one. The Hamas have no resources of their own. They are a dysfunctional government in terms of providing for the benefit and welfare of the people over which they govern. So why would the Hamas take what resources that they have been given and build a tunnel system that rivals the Manhattan subway system from which they could command the launch of 10,000 rockets against Israel? Because it's not rational, it's spiritual. Why would the other Arab nations get involved in a war against Israel, which is a postage-stamped-sized country and poses no invasive threat to them and was employing 100,000 Palestinian workers? Because it's not rational, it's spiritual. Comes right out of the pages of the Bible. There are a lot of Palestinians out of work right now because those that govern them sought to destroy the hand from whence they were fed. They sought to destroy the hand by which they were blessed. and That was not a rational thing to do. So again, last week I said at least three times to read Deuteronomy 28. And this brings me to my second reason about your heart not being right with God. Deuteronomy 28 sets forth what will happen to the Jews if they disobey him. And God means what he says. In the context of their conditional covenant with God, just as all the good promises have come to pass on the Jews, so have the bad ones. And those bad ones are really, really bad. I'm going to read from Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23 sets this before us in a couple of verses. In Joshua 23, verses 14 through 16, we read... And behold, this day I am going the way of all the earth, this is Joshua speaking, and ye know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one thing hath failed of all the good things which the Lord your God spake concerning you. All are come to pass unto you, and not one thing hath failed thereof. Therefore it shall come to pass that as all good things are come upon you which the Lord your God promised you, so shall the Lord bring upon you all evil things until he hath destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God hath given you. Verse 16, When ye have transgressed the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and have gone and served other gods, and bowed yourselves to them, then shall the anger of the Lord be kindled against you, and ye shall perish quickly from off the good land which he hath given Given unto you. Now, if you continue into Joshua chapter 24, and I'm just going to talk about the principle that's set forth there. In Joshua 24, God sets before us a truth. He teaches us that the Israelites have always been idolaters amongst idolatrous peoples. Pay attention to that. The Israelites have always been idolaters, knock on wood here, or To make a point, amongst idolatrous peoples, yes, they have been idolatrous, but so is every man who has ever lived on the face of this earth except Christ Jesus. All men, by nature, are idolaters. All men reject God. Romans 3.11 says, there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. None. That means you and me. In their hearts, all men are at war with God until they're regenerated. Romans 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 asks the question, Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? How about because all regenerate men are fools and totally depraved in that state. Verse two, the kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which they literally did when Christ was crucified. That psalm literally came to place, came to fruition um, when Christ came. And they reiterate that God reiterates that for us in Acts chapter four. In Acts chapter 4, verse 25 through 28, I'm going to read in verse 25, "...who," meaning the Lord God, "...by the mouth of thy servant David hath said..." In other words, you inspired the holy scriptures. You inspired David to say what I just read in Psalm 1 and 2, uh, Psalm 2, uh, verse 2 verses. "...why did the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth stood up, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ." It's very nice that Acts chapter 4 is the commentary on Psalm uh, chapter 2. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, amongst thou hast, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Jews and Gentiles alike are at war with God. Jews and Gentiles alike are guilty of rejecting and murdering Christ Jesus in whom dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now, think about the Gospel of John. When the Gospel of John opens, we read in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 1, he was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. Who's he talking about here? Well, he's talking about everyone. That should be fairly obvious. No one knew who Jesus was. No one knew that he was God incarnate and created everything that was ever created. Without him was not anything created that was created. In verse 11, it says, He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Who's he talking about here? Who are his own? Is he talking about his own people according to the flesh, the Jews, or his own people? the elect of God. Is he talking about national Israel or spiritual Israel? How about both? Whereas he chose and worked with 12 Jewish men, 11 of which were elect, and none of them received him of their own accord, none of them chose him, but rather he chose them, none of his own received him, neither national Israel nor spiritual Israel, the elect of God. None of them received him. No one knew him and no one received him. As it is written, Romans 3.11 again, there is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. So with respect to idolatry and disobedience towards God, the Jews aren't any different than any other people. It is God who has set them apart for his glory and openly worked with them as a nation to that end. And because of this, they have enjoyed great blessings and grievous chastisement and according to god's principle for unto whomever much is given of him shall be much required and to whom men have committed much of him they will seek the more and so while god applies this principle to the jews as we can see throughout the course of history he will certainly apply it to the rest of the world especially especially to them who call themselves christians The Bible says that judgment begins at the house of the Lord. Now, because of these things that I'm sharing with you, because knowing how God has worked with the Jews for our good, we should have empathy for them. Deuteronomy chapter 28 should inform your thinking, not influence your thinking against the Jews. It should inform your thinking and not influence your thinking against the Jews. That they became an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword amongst the nations whither the Lord led them does not mean that the church of God should view them this way. That would not be consistent with a Christian heart. If you are not sympathetic to the Jews, then you do not understand how you have profited by their fall you do not understand how it is worked for your good at great cost to them. Through their fall, salvation has come unto the Gentiles. Through their fall, salvation has come unto you. If you are not sympathetic to the Jews, you do not understand how you rejected Christ and were disobedient to God before he poured out his spirit into your heart. If you are not sympathetic to the Jews, you don't understand how, but by the grace of God, that God did not choose the nation into which you were born to be a, quote, special people unto him, obligating you to a conditional covenant which no man could ever keep. I wonder if the babies the Hamas burned alive knew of the implications of what took place 3,500 years ago when their forefathers ratified a conditional covenant with God Or 2,000 years ago when their parents, while calling for the crucifixion of Christ, said, quote, his blood be upon us and on our children, end quote. I don't think they understood that, nor do I think that any of the people murdered on October 7th at the festival that day understood it either. If you don't have a sympathetic view towards the Jews, you have a spiritual blind spot, which might be understood in a new Christian, but dubious in a mature one. And if that's the case, your heart is not right with God. You do not have a biblical understanding of how you have profited from their fall, and you are blind towards it. So what should the Christian's heart be towards the people living over in Israel, the people who rejected Christ 2,000 years ago and will continue to suffer spiritual blindness until the fullness of the Gentiles come in? What is God's heart towards them? Was it not manifest in Christ Jesus, who is the expressed image of God and in whom dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily? Did he not weep over Jerusalem, knowing he would be betrayed into the hands of sinners, crucified and slain? Knowing he would be betrayed into the hand of sinners, crucified and slain, Jesus wept over the city because he knew what the Romans were going to do as his agents, because they did not know the time of God's visitation. So we see in the Bible that God wept over their impending calamity. How about the Christian? How should their heart be towards Israel? Let's read Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. So open that up. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. In Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5, we read, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites. To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, who are the fathers, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who was over all. God blessed forever. Amen. Here we see that Paul undoubtedly is a type of Christ but he is also a very real person. He's a regenerated person. He would estrange estrange himself from God. Indeed, he would become accursed from God, meaning he would suffer eternal separation from God. He would suffer eternal punishment in the lake of fire for his kinsmen according to the flesh. For his kinsmen that persecuted him everywhere he went preaching the gospel for his kinsmen that on more than one occasion tried to kill him and indeed almost did. He was stoned in Lystra and dragged out of the city, supposing him to be dead. They left him there. And yet he has a great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart for the Jews. So he rose up as one from the dead and went back into the city. In Acts chapter 21, when Paul was in Jerusalem, the Jews, thinking that he had brought Greeks into the temple, dragged him out and would have killed him had not the chief captain of the band of Romans rescued him. And yet he has a great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart for the Jews, for his kinsmen, according to the flesh. And so upon the stairs of the castle overlooking the temple grounds, he preaches the gospel in the Hebrew tongue to the Jews that would have murdered him because he has a great heaviness and sorrow in his heart for the Jews, his kinsmen, according to the flesh. Now, I wonder if he has that love and compassion because of Christ and the love and compassion and mercy that Christ had for him, redeeming Paul from the curse of the law and being made a curse for him. And Paul, being conformed, or in the process of being conformed, to the image of Christ, manifests characteristics of Christ in his sacrificial love for his kinsmen, according to the flesh, the Jews. And so, just to be clear here, we're not talking about Christian Jews here. We're not talking about spiritual Israel. We're talking about Jews who have rejected Christ Jesus as the Messiah. We're talking about Jews who crucified and slew Jesus. We're talking about Jews that are persecuting Christian Jews like Paul. Now, just as Paul did when he persecuted the church of God and wasted in his exceeding zeal for the traditions of his father's. He zealously persecuted the church of God and he himself is being zealously persecuted by people that were just like him before he was regenerated and yet he has a continual uh, heart for those people. Now, if Paul, as one being conformed to the image of Christ, has a great heaviness and continual sorrow in his heart for the Jews, shouldn't all those who are being conformed to the image of Christ, who himself wept over Jerusalem? So, When the enemies of Israel are raining rockets upon them, murdering their infants, and are literally ripping up their women with child, should we not have a great heaviness and continual sorrow in our heart for the Jews of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came? Should we not sympathize with their need to defend themselves and destroy those that would destroy them? Should we ever harbor a thought that says, well, perhaps they deserve it. They rejected Christ and I didn't. Therefore, they receive the recompense meet for their rejection of God. If you do, however fleeting a thought that might be, you who are a wild olive tree and who, contrary to nature, was grafted into the natural olive tree, are being wise in your own conceits high-minded, and boasting against the natural branches. You are boasting against the root of the tree that bearest thee. And if you do that, there is a reminder and a warning here in Romans 11 that God who spared not the natural branches due unbelief might not spare thee. In other words, if you think you stand by anything other than grace, that you were just a little bit smarter than the Jews, that you had just a little bit more insight than the Jews, that if you had seen all of the wonders done by God in Egypt, the Red Sea, the wilderness, and the conquest of the promised land, you surely would have accepted Jesus. You are gravely mistaken. You do not understand the gospel and why the Jews have suffered those things so as to teach us basic gospel truths. If any of that applies to you, Then you need to, quote, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. You need to examine yourself, whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. So as we move forward as a church, let us pray for the peace of Jerusalem and unity within the body of Christ. Let us pray that we have the heart of Christ towards all men, particularly those he has chosen to manifest his glory in the world with which Are the Jews. We would pray that He would have mercy on them as He has had mercy on us and will soon remove the scales from their eyes. And by all means, as an exhortation, step out of your YouTube echo chamber and into God's Word, measuring everything you hear and see from God's biblical lens. You have in your hand the Holy Bible, the revealed will of God. So pray that God place it in your heart more every day. Amen. Amen.